Hello, hello, hello. So before I go into today's brand new episode of the podcast, I just wanted to let you guys know that the next intake of the female fat loss program for September is now open and it will start on Monday the 5th of September. So just in time for when the kids go back to school and you'll be back into your normal routine. So it'll be the perfect time for you to get back into things if you've been kind of putting things off for when the kids are off. So what does the female fat loss program actually entail? It's a six week program and it's completely tailored to you with your tailored training. It's perfect for if you wanted to use gym workouts, home workouts, doesn't matter what equipment you have, it can be tailored to you, whether it be bodyweight workouts, whether it's gonna be dumbbell workouts or kettlebell workouts. There's not any hit, it's just literally going to be resistance training and it will get you the results you're looking for. So there'll be demonstrations with videos on this as well. There'll be calories and macros set for targets for you that are tailored to you. There'll be education, training and nutrition around your cycle and time of the month and how to work make that work for you you have a choice of the actual preference or home or gym workouts depending on what you have time for there's free recipe books as well the brownies are absolutely amazing so i definitely get get involved in those the recipe books are not a meal plan the, i don't do meal plans dietitians are literally the only people on this earth that are allowed to give meal plans everyone else is just googling it up so it's not a meal plan it's my fitness pal friendly recipe books so if you scan the barcode on the bottom of the page on the actual recipe book itself it will populate the, the, the ingredients and the calories for you into my fitness pal for you which is saves the hassle which is a bit that no one really likes in my fitness pal anyway so then we've got a facebook group which is where we will do our weekly q a's where we have our group and you'll have interaction there you'll have interaction with me and then we'll have our weekly check-ins as well and on that the check-ins will be done via email and you will have to fill in your check-in on a Monday and then on a Tuesday you will get feedback from myself so that everyone that's come through the program so far has had an amazing time so how do you know if this program is for you it's someone who's looking to educate and learn and get the results they're looking for that they've never actually tried to get or get the results they've actually tried to get then there's also someone who's looking for education around their cycle and how their body works for them rather than letting their body run their lives it's being a part of a like-minded group who can support and work with each other and that's the biggest feedback that's come through it is i can't believe how simple 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 it is one and i can't believe that the tactics that you use with us and teach us is so simple and it's really easy to do the other feedback that's come through is the weekly accountability is amazing the other support that's come in and the other feedback that's come through is the amazing support network that people have in the group and they've seen massive changes with that as well so if this is for you the next one starting on the 5th of September and the price is 169 for six weeks. So the group link is in the actual write-up of this episode itself. And then you've got one-to-one coaching as well. So there is a difference. The link for one-to-one coaching is different to the female fat loss program. So if you want to sign up for the female fat loss program that is starting on the 5th of September, click the link in the actual write-up or click the link in the bio, pop me any questions, but the best way is to apply for it and your program will be sent over to you the Friday before you start and you can ask any questions. Looking forward to seeing you guys in there and I will talk to you very soon. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. So I am absolutely delighted to talk to you guys on the next episode of the Shane Walsh podcast. So today is episode 287 and it is a Q&A style from the female fat loss group, which I spoke about previously. So this is what happens. You guys in the group will send in the questions into, into me every week and I will do my best to get a upload of podcast for you guys so that you get as much out of me as possible 
and if you have any questions at all that's even if you're not in the group pop them in and i will do my best on those so a couple of questions a few questions kind of came in the first group just finished up and absolutely amazing feedback on that and so whoever signed up for that thank you very much and so many of those who have finished in the first group i've gone into the new group that has literally just started in august and i'm really really excited to see where they can go and i'm and, and, and learn and the amount of stuff that they've learned has been incredible to watch and the growth in there has been amazing and there hasn't been they've had chocolate every day they've had carbs every day no element of restriction has been applied to it so i think the first thing that we're going to talk about is on the whole aspect of heavy periods and i know that i've worked with clients with this before and i would always go and say the first caveat is you is to go get medical advice if you feel that you're at this stage because there's there there's a reason why your body is going through the whole age the whole thing of heavy periods light periods pms or whatever it may be if, if your cycle isn't regular or your cycle is sore or painful or heavy periods or light periods or spotting is occurring the body's trying to tell you something it's giving you feedback it's keeping the score for you so it's understanding what's not what's normal for you with your cycle and what's changing for your cycle what's what is actually happening for you so i think when you think about heavy periods you think about a heavier bleed okay so a normal bleed is anywhere up to about 80 milliliters okay so that is realistically if you think of it in soaked tampons or regular pads about one soaked regular pad or a tampon it's about a tampon holds about five milliliters so and a super tampon holds about 10 milliliters so if you think of it this way 80 milliliters equates to 16 one six fully soaked regular tampons or eight fully soaked super tampons over the days of the period if you're in and arrange that in and around that area or in and around that age a range of the whole thing with the bleeding and that's that's the, the flow for yourself then it will be a sign that you have you have a heavy flow and it's, it's it's important to know and understand what your what's going on with your body very heavy bleeding is much more than 80 milliliters that's what we say some women report that they lose up to 500 milliliters or two cups of blood and this is quite scary and i've seen this in 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 working with clients before that that means blood soaked clothing which can bring an element of fear that it's going to happen at any time that can bring uh, an, a whole thing of embarrassment around certain things and it can also mean in deficiencies in iron around the body and it also can involve trips to hospital so if you are if you are that person you're listening to this your options are to go to the hospital your options are to go to the gp and to talk to someone about it you have every right to go and get your bloods and hormones checked and it really, really is important that you do and go get that hormones checked. And I'll put the list of hormones at the very end of this section of what to go and get checked with your doctor on that side of things. So they can occur at any age as well, but they are more common in young teenagers and perimenopausal, perimenopausal women. 
the kind of the maturity of a cycle for a teenager doesn't happen to kind of 18 or 19 years of age. So when the cycle starts to happen for teenagers, the body's adapting, the body's going through an awful lot of change and it's trying to adjust itself. It's trying to find itself out, if you know what I mean. And it can take a while for that to adjust. But normally what can happen at that stage is the doctor will be like, oh, here's the pill, that's gonna sort it out. I can assure you that's not gonna sort it out. So it may be uncomfortable, it may be, and this is personal choice to the actual woman who is listening to this and this is every choice of a woman out there it's your body no one can force you or tell you what to do you get the information for where you want to and you apply that to yourself no doctor anyone can make you take the pill or any other type of contraception it's completely on top of you what you want to do and knowing your options is the best thing and if you're not happy with your choice or you feel uncomfortable about it please do and go and talk to get a second opinion don't be afraid to do that so for for both age groups of the teenagers and perimenopausal women heavy bleeding is usually the result of too much estrogen so which which act the function of the estrogen is actually to thicken the uterine lining and then also on a not enough progesterone which reduces the uterine lining so if you think of it for if you think of the first two weeks post bleed of your cycle your estrogen is on the up and it peaks at ovulation Okay, that's essentially what happens. So if you think of estrogen like your Beyonce hormone, it makes you feel like a woman. It gives you that kind of like sassiness and it kind of gives you that edge. And then if you think of progesterone like your calming hormone, your soothing hormone, that's the second stage. And that normally ovulation is the peak of your estrogen. And then seven days after your ovulation, that is when the estrogen peaks. So if you have say a 28 day cycle your ovulation is going to occur on 14 days in and around it it should do anyway and then seven days later is when your your progesterone is going to peak so heavy bleeding is usually the result of too much estrogen which the function is to to thicken the uterine lining and then you've got enough you haven't had enough or you don't have enough progesterone which is which the function of it is to reduce the uterine lining so what can we actually do so there's a, the biggest thing is i would say to go to the doctor so natural treatments for heavy periods for teenagers and they are they're normally a they can be a temporary thing for teenagers and they happen because the estrogen receptors are quite sensitive for the first few years of periods and then cycles are still uh an ovulatory as well so there is actually no progesterone being made to actually lighten the period so if you think of it again what i've just said about the estrogen which thickens the uterine lining it hasn't got that progesterone in order to to reduce that uterine lining to let it go down it's kind of like a dam if you think of that kind of graphic in your head it's kind of like a dam so as the estrogen receptors become less sensitive and girls start to ovulate periods should lighten if they don't please go talk to the doctor and so some some simple ways to reduce heavy menstrual flow in teenagers going on medical advice would be such as conventional anti-inflammatories such as ibuprofen advil or neurofen and what these do is they block the prostaglandins and reduce menstrual flow by half i've learned this from a few endocrinologists and a few bit of research as well but the recommended dosage they say is around 200 milligrams every six hours during the first day or two this is a stopgap. This isn't the treatment going to go forward if it's a if it's a constant issue. It's a stopgap. It's not a natural ibuprofen is not a natural treatment, but it can be a sensible and practical solution short term. Potentially, and there's some people saying 
like the likes of Lara Bryden saying that two days of ibuprofen per month is a better strategy than the pill. The pill is a personal choice and no one can put that on you or take that away from you if you don't allow it. Another thing that may be a natural kind of remedy for it as well is turmeric. And this can help to reduce the bleeding and you take it every day throughout the month. So if you're making something like curries or you're making that side of things, you can add turmeric or stuff like that to your to your spot, your curries or whatever it may be. Then there's a potential to look at you may be more you may be more likely to be anemic, which is a deficiency in iron. So if you are going to get your hormones screened, which I would encourage everyone to do, get heavy periods can cause iron deficiency, and iron deficiency can worsen heavy periods. You can use a kind of a gentle chelated iron, like iron by glycinate. And the dosage is normally in and around 15 to 50 milligrams, but it's, and it's best to take to best to be taken after an evening meal. But your doctor will recommend a dosage that is adequate for you based off your recommendation because you could have a slight deficiency and you may not need a higher dosage. You may need a lower dosage as well. So if you are taking ibuprofen and stuff like that and or your daughter is taking it or whatever it may be, it's not a long-term solution. So be careful of that turmeric and then supplementation with iron. So what are the natural treatments for the heavy periods? So with perimenopausal women, heavy periods are more serious than the temporary heavy periods of the teenage years. And without treatment, perimenopausal periods can become heavier and heavier as menopause approaches. So some natural treatments for perimenopausal heavy periods include all of the, all of the kind of like the above statements, which was ibuprofen, turmeric and iron. But you need to get your hormones checked to see exactly what's going on because what can happen at the stage of perimenopause which is the stage before menopause so menopause is like you have no cycle for over 12 months perimenopause is the stage before that where you may get that 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 symptoms of irregular periods heavy flow you may have night sweats that side of thing that's what perimenopause is but you need to make sure that you're getting a medical diagnosis because heavy bleeding is can be caused and is usually caused by an ovulation but your doctor needs to rule out issues such as the likes of endometriosis, which I've done podcast episodes on. So please go and listen to that. I think there's two episodes on that. Or else there's coagulation disorders. There could be uterine polyps. There could be infections. There could be adenomyosis. And there could be fibroids. So and if we look at what fibroids are, they're benign growths in the muscle wall of the actual uterus itself. They are common during perimenopause and often occur in women who also report very heavy bleeding. And only rarely are fibroids the actual cause of the bleeding. So it's important to make sure you are going to your gynecologist, your specialist, your GP, whatever it may be, and getting the proper treatment for yourself. You could be looking at identifying and treating underlying underlying thyroid disease. So if you think of it, there is underactive and overactive thyroid. So the thyroid is a butterfly-like gland in your in your neck area. And what that does, it actually it kind of regulates your your metabolism so if you're underactive thyroid it means that you are that your thyroid is underactive and it's not working at the pace it should be if it's hyperactive so think hyperactive child hyperactive means it's working faster than it should be and it could be harder to kind of maintain weight and you could weight lose weight quickly so but if you're on the proper medications for that for those your hormones should function at the regular level. If you feel that you have a thyroid issue or you feel that it's taking a little bit longer for you to lose weight, if you've been consistent and you've ruled that out, I would go and get your hormones checked 
probably every twice a year even if you have thyroid potentially every three to six months anyway depending on what your doctor says but underactive thyroid like Hashimoto's autoimmune thyroid disease can also worsen or or kind of make heavy periods worse and so it's really really important to make sure that you are getting your thyroid checked regularly and making sure that you're ruling that out side of things making sure that you're getting enough iodine and if you have thyroid, you'll have to be careful with your iodine intake, but it's important to potentially, like iodine actually down-regulates your estrogen receptors in the breasts and the uterus and reduces the thickening of the uterine lining. So making sure you've got enough adequate iodine, but your doctor will be able to talk to you through that. The way that you can potentially look at another medical treatment would be for heavy periods would be oral micronized progesterone as well and this is synthetic progestin so it's not your natural progesterone it's a thing called progestin so it's a man-made version and it, it can be taken as a tablet it can be taken as the marina iud and it's also viable it's also available via a, an alternative or a synthetic progestins as well so what this does it thickens the uterine lining as well as other progestins but has a fewer side effects and could be used as a capsule, can be used as a topical, a topical cream, uh, or the capsule can be like something like Prometrium as well. So you could also be focusing on what can you do nutrition-wise. You could be focusing uh, focusing on eating more phytoestrogens such as nuts, soy, flax seeds, and they can help to reduce making periods lighter as well. And what they do is phytoestrogens compete with stronger end. Um, kind of estrogens as well and therefore reduce estrogen stimulation of the uterine lining okay so that's there could be potentially looking at conventional treatment of it as well so there could be an element of maybe looking at the hysterectomy but your doctor will talk about that with you and this is potentially what this is is a surgical removal of the actual uterus itself and it has been the standard medical treatment for heavy bleeding for many decades it is still necessary for some women, but it's important that you go and get your, and I encourage you to go and talk to your doctor, talk to your specialist, and try to see if it is the last resort. It, it can, a hysterectomy can double the long-term risk of vaginal prolapse and urinary incontinence as well. But there's risks with every procedure that we have out there. But it can also reduce sexual response and ability to orgasm as well. And if hysterectomy improves underlying gynecological symptoms like pain, then it can have the end result of improving sexual function as well. So it's a lot of things there. There's caveats and then there's bonuses to it as well. So it's important to understand what your options are. The other thing that you could look at is a progestin secreting IUD or Marina. And what this does is decrease the menstrual flow by about 90%. What the marina delivers a very small dose of the synthetic progestin, leaving progesterone directly to the uterine lining. And some of that synthetic hormone may not or does not enter the actual blood, but at one tenth the dose of most contraceptive pills. Marina can, however, cause can be linked to acne and can. Some studies have shown that it can be linked to depression as well. So you need to look at the episode on the pill that I have done. You need to look, and I'll link these in the in the notes as well for you to show perimenopause, to show what the the pill. I will also link in a few other episodes for you to link in with as well. But it's important to note what your options are. You could also be looking at endometrial ablation as well, which is a surgical scraping or destruction of the uterine lining itself, and it is effective. But twenty two percent of women require a repeat a repeat procedure and about 20% experience long-term pelvic pain. So 
some I, I'll, I mentioned the medical treatments and it's because that and the way I look at them is because sometimes they are actually required uh, but despite all your best efforts but I think it's important for you to actually go and talk to your doctor about things and understand where you're coming from and go get your hormones screened and what I'm going to to resort to the actual medical treatment itself is not a sign of failure it could be the last thing that you need to do it could be the thing that you need to do to kind of reduce that it can be worth trying the natural remedies before resorting to the hormonal IUD or going for the surgical options and stuff like that looking back at the teenage stuff it can take a while for things to sync up as a teenager and then at perimenopause you have other options that are a little bit more at play for you as well so heavy flow can be managed there are options for you the likes of ibuprofen the likes of turmeric the likes of looking at your iron but get your hormone screen and i'm going to give you a list of those hormone screening now so if you get a pen and paper and listen to this part here you'll be able to go to your doctor and say, I want to get my hormone screened. What you may happen is the doctor or the nurse that's on shift or on duty that day, they'll be like, why do you want to do that? We normally only do that if there's, if there's an issue with ovulation. But it's understanding that if your body hasn't been synced, isn't syncing up or isn't working for you, there's fee that's giving you feedback and you have the right to do that. If the doctor or the nurse make you feel awkward or refuse to do it, I would recommend to go to somewhere else to go and get it. So what I would do is I would make sure that you're getting, when you're going to get your test done, get a pen and paper now, pause this, run and get a pen and paper, or else you can get your phone and save this section of it. So it probably should have been in around 20, 21 minutes on the podcast where the, uh, if you want to save it. So you're looking at getting your progesterone checked. You're looking at your estrogen checked. You're looking at getting your FSH your LH, your testosterone, your SHBG, your TSH, your T4 and T3, which is your thyroid. You're also looking at B12, which is really, really important with kind of regarding heavy periods as well. You're also looking at getting your ferritin. You're also looking at getting your folate, particularly if you are trying for a baby, folate is huge. And then you it also could be an element of prolactin. Will you need all of these? Maybe not but there's no harm in talking to your 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 clinician, your doctor or your medical your medical professional. If they have you have a full right to understand what's going on with your body. That's a fact. You really really do. So please please do make sure that you do that and, and kind of say this is what's happening with my body. Keep a log of what's actually going. If you know what your normal cycle is and something has changed for you, well, then it's important for you to know your options. It's important for you to know, right, this has been going on for this long. This has been going on for this long. This is what my normal period is. If you know that you're tracking your cycle, like like using the likes of Clue, Kandara, Natural Cycles, a good old-fashioned pen and paper can also work. You'll understand what a normal cycle is for you. So if it, your normal cycle is a 20-day 20 cycle, for example, and for whatever reason, it shifts up to a 32-day cycle, or potentially you get a lighter flow, potentially you get a heavier flow, and something has happened, the body's giving you feedback that something is off. It could be your estrogen, it could be your progesterone, it could be that you are potentially at the stage of perimenopause, it could be that you are stressed, it could be that you're not getting enough energy into your body, which is in the form of calories, it could be a sign that you're overtraining, it could be that you're not looking after yourself and something has happened through a traumatic grief experience or whatever it may be. So it's I, the number one lesson with anything to do with your cycle, please track your cycle. It's my number one tip for every single woman that I ever work with. And 
every single woman that I've have kind of been hesitant to do it and have gone and done it they're like I never knew this as what it should be and now I know how to manage it better and my symptoms have managed I've been a hell of a lot better there are many episodes on this that I have done and I'll put in as I don't want to overwhelm you with the information but if you are struggling please go and talk to your doctor please reach out and ask a question I'll stay on my lane on it if possible but if you want to make an appointment with the doctor please do so the next question that kind of came in on this is how to manage things how do you manage diet nutrition training when working abroad or when you're traveling with work so this can happen a lot for a lot an awful lot it's particularly with things opening back up and it's it's amazing to see things opening back up and i think we've all missed it and i think there's a lot less travel happening for work but some people's work will involve them traveling again and i think the best thing you can do is the best thing you can do is is really just doing your best you can so particularly you're, like, it depends what your situation is you may be put up in a hotel you may be put up in an apartment so you may be in charge of cooking your regular meals who knows but if you're in a, if you're in a hotel and your meals aren't being are, are kind of like restaurant meals or whatever the basics still really do work and this goes to anyone really who's out there is i would try to get a protein with your first meal so if you're having your breakfast, so some people will say, well, I don't really like to have breakfast. There are people who do that and that's and that's fine. But if you are a someone who goes first thing in the morning and when we're stressed first thing in the morning, and that's what it is, we're, we're more stressed in the morning because we're waking up with our eyes closed or waking up with our eyes closed makes no sense. But we're, we're going from being in a deep sleep, hopefully, then we're going to adjusting to the nat- to natural light, which can be a more stressful experience to the body. So then what most people will do is before eating anything, they'll go for a cup of coffee first. Now, the body doesn't react very well to coffee or caffeine. What it can do is it can, it can cause more anxiety. It can cause a little bit more stress to the actual body itself, but can also be an appetite suppressant. And what that means, it reduces your appetite. So if you're someone who is waking up first thing in the morning and then you're having a coffee and you're, you say you're not hungry, potentially pushing out your coffee till after your breakfast could be an idea for you or having a glass of water first and then having a normal breakfast. In that breakfast, potentially get some protein in. Protein will keep you fuller. It will balance your blood sugars a lot more so you won't have these crashes that you do in the afternoon or mid-morning. Aim for some whole grain carbohydrates. Why do I say whole grain over white starchy? Are they better or are they worse? Whole grains will manage your blood sugar, sugars a hell of a lot more. They keep you fuller and more satiated for longer as well, which is ultimately what we want to try and do. We don't want to be hungry. Could you add a little bit more fruit or veggies in with your morning? So I know myself, my normal breakfast, and this will shock people, my normal breakfast, most mornings, and it varies on weekends, but six days out of the seven, my normal breakfast would be a couple of squares of chocolate. Why? Because I like chocolate. Then a scoop of whey, so whey protein powder. And then what I would throw on that is a few scoops of oats. And then what I will do is I will throw in either strawberries or berries, and I will also throw in some chia seeds and pour in some almond milk. Now, why do I do that? The people will say I crave sugar. Fruit has sugar in it too, and people do forget that. So what the fruit is doing is helping your digestion. And if your digestion is playing ball for you, you won't have as much difficulty going to the bathroom and you'll be less bloated. You'll also help your sweet tooth and your craving. If you are craving 
It's either a sign you're not getting enough into your body, you're not getting enough energy into your body, you're either very stressed or you're restricting. So that's generally why when cravings come in, it's a sign of that. So for breakfast, I would aim for a protein. So it could be eggs, it could be turkey rashes, it could be normal rashes, it could be a, a smoothie, which really helps people because if they're on the go and they've got the kids, it could, they can drink that while they are potentially on the go or on the walk or whatever. Maybe replace your coffee with a, a smoothie. So think of protein, think of fruit or veggies. You could think of throwing that in and you're getting satiated. So it's, and it's very good for COVID recovery. And I would listen to that COVID episode that I did a little while ago on that. And it helps to keep you fuller for longer. And that surprises people that when that happens is like fiber takes up more room in the stomach. So when when that happens, that we feel we don't feel as hungry, we feel more energized, we're getting minerals and vitamins into our body. So if you're in a hotel or you're cooking for yourself while you're traveling, can I get protein in? Can I get whole grain in? Can I get a bit of fruit in? And can I potentially have some water instead of my coffee? If you have caffeine, caffeine after your breakfast, absolutely zero issues. But if having it before your breakfast and then having a second one less than an hour later and a third one before you even start work, that's literally like sticking a fork into a toaster and expecting to not get shocked. You're, you're stressing yourself out. You're making your body more anxious and then you're expecting not, not to be anxious or react to stress when you go into work. What I would try to do then is if you're in a hotel or if, if you're in an apartment, I would try to have some fruit or a protein bar or something like that in your bag that you can bring with you. You can snack on on the go with your lunch. Can you get some veggies in? Can you get some protein in? Could you get some fats in? Could you get some whole grain carbs in? That could simply be a sandwich. It really, really could. Then what I would try to do then is try to get something in mid-afternoon as well. That could be a little bit more fruit. That could be some Greek yogurt with some berries and a little bit of chocolate. That really helps the sweet tooth. Dark chocolate really helps with magnesium. That can really, really help. And then you've also got the element of with dinner. And this is where people kind of freak out. So they, they say that, that, that they don't want to have a few drinks. Like, well, no one's, no one's forcing you to have drinks. If you want to drink, drink. If you don't want to drink, that's fine. It's personal choice. But if you're drinking like, and you're on these trips, and I, and I did these when I kind of worked in the corporate world of when you're traveling, you kind of get caught up in the whole thing of trying to like while and dine clients or whatever. And sometimes it's not optimal. Sometimes you feel like doing it. Sometimes you don't feel like doing it. There's so many non-alcoholic options out there for you that no one will ever notice. If you got a G&T tumbler and just put in tonic or 7-Up or Sprite or whatever it may be, it's the exact same thing. No one will notice. Ask them for a, a mocktail or ask them for a non-alcoholic beer and just put them into a normal pint glass for you. No one notices any different for yourself if you don't want to drink. A slimline G&T will probably be the lower calorie option if you want to drink. But then if you're going to get the kebab and stuff afterwards or whatever it may be or the takeaway afterwards, it's kind of counterintuitive. So if you're on the go or if you're like I was today, I was on the go. So I brought some food with me. So I was on the go. I was on the road this morning at 6 a.m. and only back literally half an hour ago. And what I did for myself was I brought my breakfast with me. So when I arrived at where I was going for the seminar, I had my breakfast in my bag so I could have that in the car before I went in. Then I had some fruit in my bag so I could nibble on that throughout. Then I had my lunch with me, which was simply just a sandwich, a, a 
generic chicken, spinach, a little bit of mayonnaise, and a little bit of peppers and stuff like that, a bit of onion into it to have as a snack uh, for my lunch. And then what I did was when I was on the way home, I stopped off to get petrol. So I was kind of like, well, what do I want here? I'm just going to get a protein bar and that'll tie me over until my dinner. Was I, I was wrecked coming home. So luckily for myself, I had prepped. I had leftovers from the night before. So I was able to zap those in the microwave. And those little things can help you. But it takes practice. It doesn't become a habit overnight. And people can blame themselves for that side of things. And we don't want to do that because it's not about blame. It's not about guilt. Because guilt isn't the thing. Shame is the thing. And what shame is saying is... What shame, not shame. But shame, S-H-A-M-E is saying is I am wrong so I am wrong for having this I am wrong for having x food or whatever it may be the biggest piece of advice and the biggest game changer for so many of my clients is this sentence of win the next meal if you have more drinks the night before when you're out and traveling and stuff like that win the next meal if you are trying to train could you go for a walk before your work your day starts because then if you're working late and you're working to deadlines, you could be on an audit. Like I know, particularly between, I think is it January and April or something like that, the, the audit deadlines are on. It depends what, what industry you're in, but audit deadlines are in then. So if you're traveling around then or you've got busy deadlines or whatever, could you go for a walk? Is there a gym in the hotel? It depends. Like I know a walk will help to kind of calm you if you do a first thing in the morning rather than going for that caffeine. You'll feel more energized by having the walk rather than the caffeine first thing in the morning. I'm not saying to cook caffeine. What I'm saying is potentially push it back that little bit more and you'll find that you, you might not actually need it. If you're having caffeine after 12, 2 o'clock, 12 or 2 o'clock, it's still in your system at 12 or 2 o'clock in the morning when you're trying to get to sleep and you're tossing and turning all the time. Another thing what you could try and do with your training is, right, is there a gym there? Or could you do a home workout or a gym workout? My main focus is today, I just went for a walk. Half an hour walk, that's all I did today. That's the only exercise I did. It helped me clear my head, it helped me get my energy back up and it means that I can have an early night and it calms me down before I go for an early night so I can get back to a normal routine, a normal day tomorrow. And then I'll go for my normal walk first thing the next day so that I am on my terms. So when traveling is a little bit more difficult, yes, do you, all the same basic supply protein with your breakfast protein with your lunch protein with your dinner aim for regular feedings of protein it's a lot easier than people make it out to be people may not be sure of where those protein sources are coming from and what protein looks like so if i was to look at protein it would be the likes of say salmon fish it would be the likes of potentially turkey it would be the likes of steak it would be the likes of chicken it would be the likes of potentially getting a curry, potentially getting a fish curry, potentially getting a chicken fillet, potentially getting whatever you want in that side of things. Potentially bring a supplement of protein powder with yourself. Or eggs could be an option. Turkey rashes could be an option. There are a Greek yogurt's a great option on the go. It's It can be done. With the training, it can be a little bit more difficult and may not be the priority, particularly if you're only there for a short time. But if you're on kind of like... I don't know, a two or a one or two week or three week kind of like stopover doing work with clients. I would try to book in time for yourself. If you book in time for yourself each morning, you've already won the day. 
you will feel a hell of a lot better. You'll be able to give your best that day. You'll be able to function up. Some of these may not be practical for you. Some of you may not want to do these. That's okay. But I think it's important to say that there are options for you. Will it happen every time? No, you're human. It doesn't happen every time for me. I was giving you an example of today that was stuck in my head from today when I was driving back about this question. And it was important for me to make it relatable to me that I have to go through these things too. There's no difference between you and I, whoever's listening to this podcast. The other thing, maybe water as well. Get water with your regular meals would be a first option. That would really help you. So if you're driving down today and you're stopping for petrol on the way down, you could go to the bathroom then if you wished. And that's what people's worry is that they'll need to go to the bathroom all the time. Have small little bottles. Have a couple of glass, have, make it a game of having a small glass every hour and a half, every hour, or whatever it may be. Because I guarantee you'll feel a lot better. You'll be, feel more energized. You'll be able to think better. You'll feel less bloated. You'll feel less lethargic, particularly if you're going to a hotter country. And the, net, the last question was the best way to kind of measure body fat. So there's no one 100% accurate way to measure body fat percentage. And most people don't actually like the answer when they get their body fat percentage done. I remember doing it on my PT course and it was with the caliper. So if you imagine a caliper is like someone pinching fat, folds of fat off your body, essentially what it is. It's not 100% accurate. It leaves a margin for error with human error because what it's doing is it may not be taken from the same spot all the time it may not be the same kind of like pinch every time it may be a smaller pinch or less skin or more skin or whatever it may be and they may not be 100 accurate on it anything any scales you have at home that's measuring body fat percentage it's not accurate there is no 100 accurate measure of body fat most people don't like the answer if you're not happy with your weight body fat percentage i wouldn't recommend for most people to do anyway it can be useful for some, but it's not 100% accurate out there. And if you listen back to the weight loss, the fat loss episode, the weight loss is what it says in the scales. The fat loss is your body fat percentage for overall health. Fat loss can be a massive indicator of how you're feeling in your clothes, your body fat percentage, so that you are potentially at a healthier, healthier marker for yourself. It's giving you that, like, you may be going down to looking leaner. And that's the the body fat percentage of yourself, taking progress pictures, seeing how you are feeling in your clothes. Those would be better markers potentially for someone starting out rather than going through this whole potentially. And it can be torturous for someone. And like, I know a lot of the GAA players are doing it up to championship or getting the, and their, the, the calipers out and getting tested and they get their skin folds tested a lot. It can be invasive. It can be uncomfortable. So be careful what you're kind of wishing for on that. It is very, very useful for clients, but it depends on the client. I rarely, I used it as a face-to-face PT, but I would always ask the client of, these are why I want to do it. And if you're unhappy with what I want to do or you're not comfortable with this, I won't do it. And they're like, I don't feel comfortable. Okay, we'll work off other metrics. Give the options to the clients, give the options to yourself, but it's completely personal choice. We can't spot reduce fat as well off the body, whether it's visceral fat or other types of fat on the body. The body will go and the, the body doesn't decide, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn off my visceral fat today and I'm gonna turn on my subcutaneous fat today. That's not what happens. If we are in a calorie deficit on a consistent effort, 
eating less than our body needs in a consistent time and consistent effort, then we'll, we'll be dropping body fat. Then we'll be dropping body fat. And then, but the consistency is the big word. If you're not being consistent, there's no point in torturing yourself with another metric or device of the scales. And if you're unhappy with the scales, that's a sign uh, that could be you projecting, projecting onto that your self-worth. Go by how you feel. Go by how you feel in your clothes. So many messages from the Female Fat Loss Program this week was, because a lot of them did it for their holidays and stuff like that. The biggest thing was, one of, the, one of the amazing women in the group kind of said to me that she's going to be coming back after holiday, but she was like, I've always wanted a bikini body. And thanks to you, I've realized that I have, I've, I, I have my bikini body. I have always had it. Like hearing those empowering words doesn't mean that you have to have abs. doesn't mean you have to have big glutes or quads, whatever, to be comfortable on the beach. No one cares. No one knows you when you're away. That client that I'm talking about is focusing on making time with her family, her kids, and making them remember and being making that more memorable. So hopefully you've enjoyed the episode on heavy periods. Hopefully you've enjoyed the part about how to manage when working abroad. And I've done my best in ways to measure body fat percentage and all that other side of things. So if you have any questions or any feedback on that, please do let me know. As always, guys, please do follow myself on Instagram. Please do listen to the episodes in the, the write-up please do share it amongst friends any questions at all let me know and looking forward to seeing those who are signing up for the female fat loss program that starts on the 5th of september so i hope you guys enjoyed the podcast